0: So here's our chronology of revelations so far in uh, picture form. And we had uh chapter 1 was the things that were, chapters 2 and 3 the things that are describing the age of the church. Uh chapters 4 to 5 are kind of a parenthesis that gives us a peek into uh into heaven right at the uh right after the rapture and before the tribulation begins. Uh this is a good um, a good bit of evidence that the tribulation does not begin at the moment of the rapture. The tribulation begins at the moment the Antichrist signs a peace deal with Israel. Uh, we don't know how much time is going to happen or to occur between the rapture and the tribulation period. Uh, it could be minutes, days, hours, months, years. Uh, we don't know. The rapture ends the church, uh, so that the church is now transported into heaven, but it doesn't end God's saving program on earth, and there will still be people saved, um, and we see that they're still saved all the way through the uh, the tribulation period. Uh, so chapters 4 and 5 give us that uh, that transition from the church being on earth to the church being in heaven, and then the beginning of the tribulation period after the church has been removed. Uh, chapters six through eighteen uh, give us actually six through nineteen give us that tribulation period. Uh, six through ten gives us what happens before the midpoint of the tribulation. Eleven through uh, thirteen is the midpoint, a very important marker uh, in the tribulation period. 14, 15 are all prefatory to the final judgments. Uh, we we mostly skip a lot of what goes on in the uh, middle of the first half and the middle of the second half. We jump to the end 14, 15, 16 is all the trumpet judge or the bold judgments uh, that'll probably occur in the last week or maybe the last days of the tribulation, concluding in the final battle, uh, which we see in chapter 19. But we get uh, a bit more detail of the destruction of Babylon in 17 and 18, so that when we get to 19, we're able to celebrate. Uh, rather than focusing in so much on those judgments. So we uh, did a couple extra lessons on Armageddon and just what that is going to look like, because so much of Armageddon is described in the Old Testament that it's only referenced in the book of Revelation, rather than rehashing all that was taught in the Old Testament. Revelation gives us new information about the future, and it organizes uh, the information about the future. Chapter 20 is going to be the Millennial Kingdom and the uh, end of this world after Jesus has reigned uh, over this world for a thousand years. And then chapters 21 and 22 give us information that's found nowhere else in the Bible about what happens after the Millennial Kingdom. So with that, we are ready to jump in to our Hallelujah Chorus, Revelation 19, 1 through 5. We actually get hallelujahs all the way up through verse six, but um, it has changed a bit what we're looking at. Um, So we are actually looking at the very end of the sequence that began in chapter 17. Uh, Chapter 17, verse one goes all the way through chapter 19, verse 10. The vision ends in verse nine. We get John's response in verse 10, and then we move on to a new vision. Um, of John's. So this is really the conclusion of what we concluded last time, Uh, but we get to see heaven's response um, to all the destruction of Babylon. So it begins, Revelation 19, verse 1, after these things. We might ask, after what things? Well, in the beginning of Revelation 17, the angel one of the seven who had the seven bowls told john that he is going to show him the judgment of the great harlot and that was the topic of all of chapter 17 and 18 we got uh, information on who that harlot is then we got to see her destruction and that was the city of babylon that would be rebuilt uh, on the euphrates river and ruled by the antichrist and from the throne From that throne, the Antichrist would rule over the whole earth. At the end, we saw, uh, woe, woe to the great city in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste. And then we get a command, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. This command to rejoice is answered now in uh, chapter 19. So, after those things, after the judgment of the harlot, uh, the city of Babylon, and her ruler, it says that John heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. Now, we're going to uh, see this again, verse 6. He's going to hear something else like a loud voice. We're going to try to identify those. Um, I've got the verses later that that I think do a pretty good job of identifying these. This great multitude in heaven is probably the redeemed, meaning that they had to be humans. So this does not include the angels, uh, but these are the redeemed people who are in heaven. And what they say is pretty interesting. They begin by saying hallelujah. Now, we might think that this is a word that occurs all over the place in the Bible, and indeed it does in the Old Testament. But here in Revelation 19 is the very first time that it occurs anywhere in the New Testament. And it only occurs four times in total. All of them are in these first six verses of chapter 19. Hallelujah literally means, Praise God. Hallel or um, Hallelu is the verb for praise in Hebrew. And then Yah is the poetic name for God. Um, it comes from the word Yahweh. So Hallelujah is praise God. And it's often translated as praise God, uh, especially in the Psalms. Uh, and some of these Psalms, Psalms 113 to 118, are even known as the Hallel Psalms. Uh, because they carry this theme of praising God, these psalms are very important in the liturgical year of Israel, because these are all sung during the Passover feast. Uh, they are uh, integral integral to that uh, feast, where they begin with uh, Psalm one thirteen. In fact, they even begin singing these while they are offering the uh, Passover lamb at the temple, and then during their feast, they recite. Uh, All six of these psalms uh, while taking uh, four different cups of wine. The first psalm, Psalm 113, begins with God's praiseworthiness. This is just his universal praiseworthiness. Psalms 114 to 116 go a little deeper onto the historical reasons that Israel have or has for praising God and 117 caps it off with a principle of praising god it's only two verses long and basically just consists of a command to praise god all the earth but then 118 is a very interesting hallel psalm it is a prophetic psalm about the messiah and so here when we get uh, hallelujah for the first time and only times in the new testament uh, we want to trace it back to where it comes from and what would be so significant about it in this Psalm 118 jives pretty well with what is going on at the end of the tribulation period. So Psalm 113, just to kind of give you a flavor of these hallelujah psalms, says, praise the Lord, praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord, blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forever from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations, his glory is above the heavens. So this, uh, in Hebrew, basically just reads like hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Uh, it is a climax in the Psalter. Psalm 114, going through Psalm 116, again, we have historical events in Israel that uh, that cause Israel to ascribe praise to God's name. And it begins with one of the most important historical events Uh, For the Jewish people, which was the very reason they celebrated Passover. Uh, When Israel went forth from Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. Uh, This is the beginning of why Israel praises God, because he saved them out of Egypt. This is what they commemorated with the Passover. But Jeremiah 23 tells us that however great that historical salvation of israel from egypt was there was a future salvation for israel that would be even greater jeremiah 23 7 says therefore behold the days are coming declares the lord when they will no longer say as the lord lives who brought up the sons of israel from the land of egypt but as the lord lives who brought up and led back the descendants of the household of israel from the north land and from the countries where i had driven them then they will live on their own soil. So in uh, at the end of Deuteronomy chapters 29 and 30 we have this uh, prophetic organization of the future events of Israel where we see that they're going to be scattered and brought back they'll be led captive into Babylon they'll be brought back but then it ends with a scattering throughout all the four corners of the earth to be concluded with a regathering from all four corners of the earth and also from all four corners Of heaven, uh, having the idea of resurrection embedded in there. Uh, And so, this is what they are, or this is what Jeremiah is talking about. He's talking about that final regathering of Israel, where they will be given their land, where they will have that eternal son of David ruling over um, Israel and the whole earth. They will have the climax of Jewish history and of the earth's history, uh, where the son of man rules over God's creation. And so Psalm 118 comes to that same climax and looks forward to the future event of God saving Israel uh, at the end of the tribulation. In uh, verse 10 of Psalm 118, it says, All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me, yes, they surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. They surrounded me like bees, they were extinguished as a fire of thorns. In the name of the Lord, I will surely cut them off. You pushed me violently so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. The sound of joyful shouting and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I will not die, but live and tell of the works of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely. That he has not given me over to death open to me the gates of the righteous of righteousness i shall enter through them i shall give thanks to the lord this is the gate of the lord the righteous will enter through it i shall give thanks to you for you have answered me and you have become my salvation so this sees that end times the eschatological salvation of israel when they are surrounded by the nations of the antichrist uh, the lord comes back and he saves them and he brings them into the messianic kingdom now uh verse 26 i'm in psalm 118 which i didn't include here is the uh national call for the messiah to return to earth that israel must uh israel must call him back in order for him to come back and become their king and then he will rule over israel So this is a very important prophetic psalm and one that will be on the lips of Israel as the Antichrist armies surround them. And it is one of those hallelujah songs. So at the end of them singing hallelujah on earth as the Lord saves them physically, we will have a chorus in heaven singing hallelujah as well. And the reasons that they are singing hallelujah, they are saying for salvation and glory and power belong to God. Now, we have three different ideas here. Uh, Salvation being God's redemptive program that began after the fall when God promised to restore man through the seed of the woman. Glory being the overall purpose of God in all of his outworking programs. And power having in it the idea of dominion, the rulership of uh, man over this earth. God instilled it to Adam. Adam failed because it was not obedient to God but one who is perfectly obedient to God, Jesus Christ, uh, comes with power to take dominion over this world. So he has saved them by his blood and he will rule them by his obedience to God. And all of this ascribes glory to God. This salvation we saw back in Revelation 7-9, where we see, After these things I looked, and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our god who sits on the throne and to the lamb this salvation that they're ascribing to the lamb after these uh, individuals were martyred uh, during the tribulation period now these are from all places but they are all looking forward to the uh, to the messiah of israel this is not part of the church program here um, during the tribulation period the focus turns back to israel that's why we see these palm branches in their hands and they're crying out singing salvation which in hebrew is the word hosanna they are singing out uh in hopes of their messiah coming uh, so they are looking forward to that Messiah, the salvation of God. Revelation 7, 11, all the angels. So now we added angels to that congregation of the redeemed. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever uh, and ever. Amen. So here at the uh, Hallelujah Psalms, this salvation and glory and power is shorthand for all of the um, glory ascribed to God by these heavenly congregations. And I'm beginning first here with the congregation of the redeemed, and then it says, "Because giving a reason for ascribing this Hallelujah to God, uh, because His judgments are true and righteous." So this is what caused them to sing out this hallelujah. They watched his judgments and they recognized that his judgments were true, meaning that they were revealed to them, they were perfected, and they are righteous. Uh, Going back to that idea of lex talionis, that God pays back what is deserved. He gives just judgments and uh, he does not, um, uh, he, he doles out the judgment that is worthy of being judged. So he is a just God. And that idea was developed in uh, Revelation 16:5 during the bold judgments, where he said, I heard the angel of the waters saying, Righteous are you who are and who were a holy one, because you judged these things. For they poured out the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. So the idea here, they are praising God for doling out punishment that was deserved. And why then has he judged? Uh, for he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality. She was uh, unrepentant. This is the great harlot who was Babel way back um, at the beginning of this uh, We call it the three great civilizations. You've got from Adam to Noah, and then from Noah forward to the end of the tribulation, and then you'll have the millennial kingdom. Uh, This civilization, uh, where the earth has not been destroyed since Noah, uh, began with the corruption of Babel, and it continues all the way through um, until it is finally put away, just as uh, the antediluvian, the pre-flood world was destroyed. So God is going to destroy the post-flood corrupt earth um, because she has corrupted the whole earth. She was the source of all that corruption. She was the first city to rebel against God, the first uh, one-world government. And when it all turns back to a one-world government ruled with a future Nimrod, the Antichrist, uh, they are going to deserve the judgment that God brings on them. you remember from... Uh, chapter Eighteen. It said that her sins have piled up to heaven just as she wanted to make a name for herself way back in Babel, uh, building a tower up to heaven, so she did, but not physically she did so with her corruption, so it will be well deserved and Then here it gives us the other side of the coin, not only has she he uh, judged her for corrupting the whole earth but she's also uh slain the uh, bondservants servants uh, of God. He has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. So not only is he, has this uh, harlot corrupted the whole earth, the unsaved, but she has um, spilt the blood of the saved as well. So she is being judged for all of her activity, essentially. Yeah, Revelation sixteen five. I heard the angel of the water saying, "Righteous are you who were and who are. Let's see, who are and who were. the holy one, because you judge these things. Why did He judge them? For they poured out the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it." Now, this um, is the rejoicing that comes. Um, In response to the question that was asked right at the beginning of the tribulation period, when we saw the first judgments being handed out right after the four horsemen uh, took their ride over the earth. Uh, The next thing, the fifth seal, was broken, and I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God, and because of the testimony which they had maintained, and they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Now, that's a question that kind of goes unanswered right at the beginning. So that's the question that's ringing in the back of our minds as we go through these judgments in the tribulation period. And we see that answer come in 16 and 17 and 18 with the bowl judgments and the destruction in Babylon and here in chapter 19 it's the heavenly recognition that this judgment has finally come but back in six um, says there was given to each of them a white robe they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed even as they had been would be completed also so he told them at the beginning of the tribulation Wait just a little while, and at the end of the tribulation, looking back, it was just a little while. It was just seven years um, to uh, fulfill and complete the judgment uh, that has been coming since, um, well, from about four thousand years ago. If if the uh, rapture or the tribulation are to take place um, anytime soon, we see that God has. Um, acted, uh, or he has planned this even, uh, from the very beginning of his uh, outworking of his plan with Israel. Uh, Back after the exodus from uh, Egypt, right before they are entering into the promised land, uh, Moses gives one last address in the form of a song, and we even saw in Revelation 15.3 that Uh, Those 144,000 on Mount Zion, they're going to sing the Song of Moses. And it concludes with these words. These are the last words that uh, we get from Moses. I will make my arrows drunk with blood, and my sword will devour flesh with the blood of the slain and and the captives. From the long-haired leaders of the enemy, rejoice, O nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants. And will render vengeance on his adversaries and will atone for his land and for his people. Now, this probably was on the uh, prophetic lips of Moses because of what was prophesied back in Deuteronomy 29 and 30 that Israel would not have such a uh, nice future uh, this side of the millennial kingdom, that they would have their moments. Of glory, but they would be overall disobedient and chastised and punished and even scattered, put under subjection to other nations, but that God would draw them out and he would put his king, the king of his choosing, over them and he would save them, and that he would avenge all of the wrong that the nations had done against Israel through her history. All right, moving forward to Revelation 19.3, We see a second time they said hallelujah, and they are rejoicing specifically again over the destruction of Babylon. This one hones in more specifically on the city. Her smoke rises up forever and ever. This idea comes from Isaiah 34 as well. The sword of the Lord is filled with blood. It is sated with fat, with the blood of the lambs and goats, with the fat of the kidneys of rams, the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra, which remember is a sheepfold, Uh, it is the name of Petra, and a great slaughter in the land of Edom, which is modern-day Jordan. Uh, So this is looking forward to that future uh, return of Christ, where he is going to return to the land of Edom, where his people are being uh, held safely in his sheepfold in the city of Petra, And he is going to slaughter the armies of the Antichrist that have amassed themselves around Petra. So that is here the idea for the Lord has a sacrifice in Basra and a great slaughter in the land of Edom. Wild oxen will also fall with them, and young bulls with strong ones. Thus their land will be soaked with blood, and their dust become greasy with fat. For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of recompense for the cause of Zion. It's Its streams will be turned into pitch, and its loose earth into brimstone, and its land will become burning pitch. It will be, it will not be quenched night or day. Its smoke will go up forever. From a generation to generation, it will be desolate. Uh, None will pass through it forever and ever. Now, this Hebrew word, olam, uh, doesn't mean forever in the sense of eternity. They have a different word for that. It is eternity. Uh, this means uh, for the extent of an age. We can see as we trace that through uh, the Hebrew use of it uh, that the English word forever doesn't really capture the idea perfectly, uh, but rather so long as the earth remains, so long as that earth or that age remains, the smoke will uh, will continue to burn on. Um, on Babylon so that means when the this earth is done away with and a new earth and a new heaven are created uh, that from that point forward uh, Babylon's smoke won't continue uh, to burn but so long as this earth remains it will continue to burn uh, this is one reason why uh, Arnold Fruchtenbaum um, who I think we've uh, we've done if we've looked at a few of his uh, interpretations before he interprets uh, the idea that the location of future Babylon um, is going to be where God confines all of the uh, the uh, demons during the uh, one thousand year reign of Christ. That they will be released from that pit uh, at the end of the tribulation, or at the end of the millennial kingdom, for the final rebellion, uh, and then this earth will be done away with. Um, so he believes that that is the location where they will remain, um, partially because of this scripture here. But Revelation 14 also um, predicted this uh, this burning of Babylon. Um, Revelation 14: 11. The smoke of her torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day and night. Those who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Um, So that means those who had aligned themselves with the Antichrist and with his one world government, they were going to share in that uh, judgment. Now notice Revelation 14, this begins the idea of the destruction of Babylon. And the destruction of Babylon, this idea is still continuing in chapter 19, and it will go all the way to the end of chapter 19. So we have six chapters here. Out of 22 that are dedicated solely to this final, uh, these final days of the tribulation period, uh, John likes to do this. He does this in his uh, in his gospel as well of the uh, multiple years, three years at least of uh, Jesus' ministry. He only covers 70 different days, and most of those days he covers very quickly. He'll uh, described to us one week uh, and then we won't get any more information for a few months um, and then we'll get another important week that occurred during the life of Jesus. So it's not really a chronological, um, here's what happened and then this happened and then this happened, but it's uh, selected events that are very important and he goes into more detail on those selected events. He's doing the same here thing here in Revelation. We don't get all of the details of everything that's going to happen for all seven years, but we get um, some of those isolated segments, uh, like the beginning of the tribulation with the four horsemen, that's probably going to be a pretty quick um, exchange, where we move from a one world government to world war, to famine, to um, to death and destruction. Uh, that's, that's going to wrap up pretty quickly. Um, I mean, we all saw with uh, recent historical events that you can take control pretty quick and you can cause chaos pretty quick. In fact, uh, most of the uh, the uh, Four Horsemen could probably occur over a single season in just a few months. Uh, we don't get much detail then until the trumpet judgments, which lead into the midpoint of the tribulation. That midpoint of the tribulation uh, has a lot of uh, chapters 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, that's another six chapters, deal just with that one week or even weekend that is the midpoint of the tribulation, and then we don't get much detail again until the very end of the tribulation period, so we've got those three points, and we get a lot of detail about those three points. That was kind of a little excursus there. All right, Revelation 19.4, the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. So we have here distinguished from that great multitude that was in heaven, uh, that we saw that great multitude was also the great multitude back in chapter 6. Those were the martyred from the tribulation period. That is not part of the church, but those are the tribulation saints. Uh, They are the first ones to Um, bring the hallelujah before God. And now we have added to that the church, the 24 elders, and the four living creatures, those special angels who serve that special purpose before the throne. Uh, We saw them introduced in Revelation 4. And we saw in Revelation 4 that the same order of worship occurred. Uh, Here in Revelation 4.9, when the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns down before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. So we see they continually uh, bring their worship Together, uh, Revelation five eight. Then he had taken the book. The four living creatures and the twenty four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, "Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon." The earth. So we're not surprised then when we get to Revelation 19:4, and we see that after the tribulation, martyrs bring their worship, then the 24 elders, the representatives of the church, and the four living creatures before the throne bring worship to God in response. Now we get a third here, Revelation 19:5. And a voice came from the throne saying, give praise to our God. Now, this voice coming from the throne, we might be tempted to think that this is God, but notice who he is telling us to give praise to, give praise to our God. Uh, This is an inclusive hour. It's not a second person. It is first person, which means that the speaker is included in that. Uh, So this Um, is probably not God. There might be an argument for it being the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, um, but it is more likely that John would have indicated that if if it were the Messiah. Uh, John doesn't seem to know who this voice uh, is. There have been a couple of voices already in uh, Revelation where the speaker isn't identified for us. Um, So my point here is that I don't think we can know who is saying this, but we can probably rule out God. So a voice came from the throne saying, "Give praise to our God." Now that I give praise is the same idea, um, Hallelujah, uh, praise Yahweh. Uh, but it is written here in Greek. It is not just the transliteration of Hebrew words. It is the actual command. So it's kind of a an intensification, a reduplication. Of the idea of giving praise. All you, his bondservants, are told to do this. You who fear him, and the small and the great. Now, these are probably not three different categories, but these are three different descriptions of the same group, which is all of the redeemed. In Psalm 115, which is one of those Hillel Psalms, uh, verse 11, it says, You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. Now that speaks of uh, the Jewish people, but they expand on this in verse 13. He will bless those who fear the Lord, the small together with the great. May the Lord give you increase. You and your children, may may you be blessed of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. This is all of those who have been brought into the blessing of the Lord, uh, that blessing that was first promised way back in Genesis 12, where it is first to the Jews and then through the Jews, the rest of the world is blessed. Uh, The Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives, from your father's house to the land, which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and so you shall be a blessing. That is the blessing promised to Israel, and then it is extended beyond Israel. I will bless those who bless you, and the ones who curse you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So as we come here to the end of the tribulation period, as we see uh, praise and worship echoing from heaven, we see that they are specifically praising him for completing those promises uh, that he had given originally to Abraham.